years after that, there's a Roman emperor named Claudius, and he expels all the Jews from Rome because they're debating about this guy named Crestus or Christ in the synagogues. And so he, he doesn't know the difference between, between practicing Jews and practicing Jewish Christians. And so he just kicks them all out of Rome. And about five years later, they're allowed to return. But that context creates quite some, something that I think is hard for us to try to wrap our minds around. Because if you have been Jewish your entire life, you have grown up in a context where you know God, you've been taught about God since the, since the very beginning, and you have been taught how to stay away from the things of the world or the stuff that's nasty out there. And there's Gentiles or people that don't grow up with a Jewish background. They become Christians, and they're part of the group there too. And like we talked about, all of a sudden, half of you are gone. And the Jews are all gone and left with people that did not grow up with a context of understanding God. And they all of a sudden become the leaders in the church overnight. And they start figuring out their way of doing things. They start leaving some of those Jewish customs behind because it's not their culture. It's not them. They just leave it behind. And then five years later, here comes the people that have been uh, in, in leadership before. They come back in. And as we talked about, it's you expect things to be as they are when you left, and it's never that way. And so they come back, and they try, are having trouble trying to figure out how to, to mesh and how to work together, and, and how, what, how, how do we find anything in common? Um, there is a, I, think, I hope we can appreciate how different all these people are coming together. And we'll come back to some of that here today as well. So last week we talked about... Romans 1.18 through 2.16, the Gentile problem. is what, what Paul does, the writer of the, the Romans, he walks through, and, and we understand that the Romans were, they built all sorts of amazing things, they had a lot of things to be proud of, but Paul said there's a dark underbelly to your society. There is all sorts of evil, there's all sorts of terrible things that happen here, and boy, you better not be proud of that stuff, because there's a whole lot of it there. And they seem to, like I think we can relate to this, being proud of a Roman more than being proud of a Christian. Sometimes we have, as we talked about, the tendency to be Americans first and then Christians second. And that's something that we wrestle through. And we have to try to figure out how to, how to maintain that balance and how to maintain those priorities. We're going to get into the next section here. And Paul takes the other side here. Okay, If you look at chapter 2, verse 17... It says, now you, if you call yourself a Jew. And so he's changing the direction here. He's talking about the other side of the aisle, if you will, the other group that, that, is, that he's speaking to. And he says, here's, here's, what, here's what you need to focus on, okay? Verse 17, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have the law, in the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Okay, so he starts off here saying, boy, you, you've got, if you think that, you are one who has got all sorts of these things together. Why don't we stop, take a prayer, say a prayer here for just a second. Let's do that. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, the day you've given us, and we're just such a people that's blessed, and we, we pray for Janet's mother right now. Um, don't know the situation, um, but she is, uh, appears that she's got some health stuff going on, and we pray for your um, uh, 
your mercy and your graciousness and your healing. And we pray that you work as only you can. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll just continue if we need to, to call an audible at some point in time. We'll do that. Sound good? Okay. And so you have... Um, you can imagine if you grow up in uh, going to synagogue school and you've learned and memorized large portions of the Old Testament and you look out at this world that, that you see around you, this world that is an absolute mess, that is full of adultery, it's full of all this kind of stuff, there's a tendency for you to look out and think, boy, those poor people out there, what a mess they are. I am so glad that I grew up in the context that I did with everything that I had and I have got stuff figured out because I've been given the words of God. And that's huge. And... Look, Paul doesn't stop there. He says in verse 21, You then, you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? In other words, are you just pointing fingers at everybody else and and not at yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? Isn't that, that's possible to do, is that we can, and maybe the Jews were doing this, is they had all sorts of ideas about how other people should not steal, other people should not be doing this, but didn't see that in themselves. You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? It was not uncommon for Jewish men to have women on the side, but yet point fingers at the temple prostitutes and, and that what was happening in the Gentile world. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Now that, that's interesting for us. This is something that's really unique, something we don't have necessarily in our society. But the temples functioned, the pagan temples functioned as banks as well. So people would bring all of their, a lot of their wealth that they were afraid to keep at home and would take to the, the temple or these pagan temples because the, the idols would protect them there. So guess what? The Jews, some Jews were notorious for robbing temples because they had no fear of those gods there. And the Jews would rob temples. And so he's saying, do you, you say that you're, you don't, aren't on board with this idolatry, but do you rob temples? Do you see the inconsistency there? You boast in the law. You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And so just as Paul has said, all right, you Gentiles need to understand that there's some, some really devastating things that you do as people. You need to understand, you as Jews, that there's ways that you go about things that have been really devastating that don't honor God at all as well. And let's be honest. Let's be transparent about who we really are. Okay, so what... The people, the Jewish problem is that they were really, really just proud of being Jewish. And the problems were hypocrisy, arrogance, having a double standard, and being unreflective. Now, that's, that's something all of us can fall into, isn't it? All of those things there. Yeah, we can fall into to living out you know, the same types of things. We'll come back to that. The next verse is, uh, let's go ahead and continue on here. Verse 25, um, it says, Paul says, Some circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, if, you, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is, is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, and by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Okay, so Paul walks through this, and he says, all right, here's something that you need to think about. 
Pride in outward heritage does not mean one is faithful. The scripture that Lance read here just a minute ago talked about that. Paul said, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews as a Pharisee. I had all of this stuff, but I considered all of it nothing, and I left it all behind because I decided that I was going to follow Christ. And that's not the stuff that I was going to put my my efforts into, is is having exactly the, the great heritage. I relied on my heritage before, and I've decided I'm going to rely on Christ from now on. And so pride in our heritage does not mean one is faithful, but a transformed inward heart, or being changed by the Spirit, as he said, that is what makes one faithful. That's different. And so you think about, if I try to put myself in the position of these people, these Jewish Christians who are, who are sitting here and who are listening to this, thinking, wait a minute here, what are you saying, Paul? <laughs> what are you saying? Are you saying that just because... Uh, all, all of this that I've, I've been given, all this that, that I've, I've followed being Jewish for all these years and, and understanding that Christ is the Messiah that was to come, is that all for nothing? And Paul answers this, and I'm going to walk through this, and then we're going to back up and, and break down some of this here. Chapter 3, go ahead and look at chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then is there being a Jew, or what value is in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. Okay, so that's, that's the big deal here. Is there any advantage of being Jewish? What does he say? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because you have a history with God's word. You have, you have been, from the, from the get-go, have been trained to understand who God is and what he is all about. And that is a tremendous advantage. That's wonderful. However, look at verse 3. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is deserved. Okay, this is all, there's, there's some of this is, is tough to untangle here. But what Paul is saying is, is it's a foundation to build on which you have being Jewish. It's a foundation to build, build on, and it's not a pass to do evil. And, and that's what happens sometimes with the Jews is they became so comfortable with their, in their own skin and com- comfortable in what they had become and what they were and all the promises of God that they allowed, they gave themselves a pass. In other words, we can be as mean, as nasty, and as ugly as we want because we're right and, and we're going to, to say whatever we want. We're going to be a terrible example. I'm going to indulge in the flesh. I'm going to just whatever because I know that I'm right. And that's it. And as long as I'm right, it doesn't matter. Um, do you see how devastating that type of thought process can be? And so that's where they, they ended up going is, is saying, well, might as well just do evil and do whatever I want because there's good that comes out of that. God's going to work in it. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not the point here. Your background in spirituality, your background in knowing God should be just that, is a foundation that helps you grow into the person that God really wants you to be. And that's, you remember back, let's look at chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And I imagine it was, it was embarrassing. I don't know if the Jews oftentimes were proud of the gospel because the Gentiles got to come in and participate, because it made them uncomfortable, because the dietary laws were violated when the, when the people of God would come together. But it, for in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so here you have Paul telling the, the Jews is that if, if you're going to be one who is righteous, then you've got to live by faith. It's not about heritage. It's not about what tribe you came from. It's not about how much history of education that you have. What matters is are you going to use that as a platform to really understand what God wants for you and God, who God wants you to be? That's, that's the point. And so I pondered a, a lot this week on what, what does this mean? Is, is this something that is just, it, it's something for them that's just an academic exercise for us, or is there some value for us? And what I found with myself is, I found myself doing a whole lot of reflection and thinking, what is the problem, what is the Jewish problem today? How does that look, and, and what, is that, what is that like? What does that look like? And there's a, a term that, that I thought about. This is the term of historical Christians, and what does that mean? As we come to Christ in different ways. And I'll tell you my story here. Uh, I, I grew up in, with, in a home where both my mom and dad uh, represented and demonstrated godliness. Uh, many of you know my parents. And I was very thankful for that opportunity and thankful for, for what I was given. Um, there is, um, when I go back on, on my mom's side of the family especially, um, how many of you know who Alexander Campbell is? Have you ever heard that name? Okay, if you don't know who he is, on Wednesday night we're talking about where we come from as a people. Uh, in church history in the Church of Christ. And it's fascinating just to see some of the decisions that people have made and, and where we, how, how we've come to be who we are. And Alexander Campbell was a guy in, uh, in the early 1800s that was an extremely intelligent guy. He was very successful, too. He was a sheep farmer, became the most wealthy man by far in West Virginia. But he got up at four in the morning every morning and read God's word, and he was very well-educated, very studious. And, and he, um, he and, and many others at that time just said, you know, we've got all these different types of brand X, Y, and Z, different type of Christian. Let's just be basic. Let's just be Christians and see what happens. And we trust that if we just step out in faith that way, God's going to work, and we're not going to have to come up with these creed and rule books. We can just let the Bible speak, and, and people are... God can work enough that the people people can people will work. Churches will work. Let's let's do this. Let's step out in faith. Well, this Alexander Campbell, very very prominent man during that time period. My ancestor on my mom's side, great 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 great, I don't know how many grandfathers was baptized by Alexander Campbell. Okay, so there's my spiritual heritage. There is in my family, and I've never seen it. I've just heard about it. My aunt has this, but there is a Greek dictionary that is signed by Alexander Campbell himself, that is, uh, that's been uh, passed down through the generations. Um, pretty, pretty neat artifact, if you want to call it that. Um, and so there is a side of me, I, when I look at this and I think about the Jewish problem, what I do is I look right in the mirror. 
And I say, that's me. Because I am not one that, that became a Christian later in life that, uh, that didn't, that I grew up hearing the Word of God. I grew up very much in a context like these Jewish Christians would have, uh, in that I've, I've been trained from the get-go to understand and see the words of God. But I'm thankful as well that very early on, my parents made it clear, is that our faith does nothing for you unless you decide to make it your own. And they made sure that I did not have a special pass in any way, shape, or form, but that the decision to follow Christ was something that was very much mine. They were going to give their foundation, they were going to do their part, but I had to make that decision if I was going to follow Christ, and there was nothing, ultimately, that they could do to coerce, manipulate, or, or, or make that decision happen. And so I realized, uh-oh, it's on. I can't just go into heaven on the shirt tails of the, the last names of my ancestors. I can't do that. Is that this ultimately comes down to me, and what decisions am I going to be making? And as I pondered through, I believe that there is, in our world, it's possible, and we see this, and I think as we talk through this, you'll, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about, is we can have historical Christians that we tend to look really well, we tend to know the answers to things, but somewhere along the line, we either never develop the heart to follow God, or we have lost the heart to follow God, and have just become comfortable in whatever situation we're in. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to that tension? Because I sure can. And sometimes we see um, with, with historical Christians, there's, there's things that we do just by nature or by habit that we don't even realize over time. Uh, how many of you, just, just as, a, as a fun way to approach this, how many of you are sitting in the same basic area of the auditorium that you have been for the last while? <laughs> Okay, yeah, we're creatures of habit, aren't we? We tend to go to the same places, and we end up in the same places, and we sit in the same places. That's the only fault that Beth Schrader has, by the way. No, I'm, I'm sorry, Beth. Beth's such a sweetheart. But, you know, there is a, and, and is it a bad deal to sit in the same places? Absolutely not. The bad deal comes if we come into the auditorium and someone else that we've never seen before or someone else that we do know is sitting in our seat and we say, wait a minute, get out of my seat, that's my spot. Do you see the, the fallacy and the problem that would be? Is that we've, it's, a, it's a little tradition, it's kind of a little fun tradition, but it's become something that it becomes, on the scale of how important it is, it's elevated because we've become comfortable in just what our situation is and what our surroundings are. Hey, that's just a kind of a funny way to approach it, but there's, there's ways that we can, can have traditions that, that are not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but those traditions um, keep us from, from being um, maybe the people that, that, we, that God really could use us to be. Um, for example, I know that um, all of us who have been a part of a church for a while, we develop relationships. It's really good, and we develop those friendships and sometimes those friendships become to the point that we don't necessarily even notice when there's someone new that has come into the, felt, the, the community of God here. Or we don't think to talk to somebody that is new that has come into the community of God. And I, when, we, when we're just, we don't even consider and think about that, I have to think that 
okay, this historical Christianity is creeping in and maybe we don't understand or we've forgotten what it's like and how scary it is for a person that is not, uh, not a part of the community of God here to walk into the church building for the first time or second time or third time. How spooky that is. And, and so our comfort can, can lead us to not welcome people. Now, I, I don't, I'm using this as an example. I've, I always, when, when people that I, that I know they're not from the church here come and, and participate, I, usually, I try to get them afterwards and say, all right, what's your impression? And one of the things they say is people are really kind and really welcoming, and that's wonderful. But this is just an example of things that we can become comfortable with where we're at, and not in any malicious way at all, but we just find ourselves just not paying attention to, to what's going on around us and the greater things that God could be doing. So there's traditions that can happen. There's, there's language that we use sometimes that is, that is really just different than the common language of people or insider language. Now, that is not at all bad, but just realize that if someone is hearing us speak, some, it, like, for example, I've heard the phrase sometimes, and I don't know if I've heard it here or not, and if someone uses it, it's fine. This is just an example, okay? But if uh, talking about the collection that we're, we're called to lay by in store, I'm not even sure what that means, and I've never, ever used that phrase for myself. Now, if you use it, that's fine. But for us, it's, it's important to just be aware that, those are, that that's a language that the world outside of church buildings does not speak. And so just, just be aware. That's, that's sometimes, um, I know with the, with the Jews and the Gentiles, they would have had to try to learn how to speak the same language and, and get on the same page. Sometimes it's language. Sometimes there's, there's questions of, of, uh, of dedication. Um, I, um, I have heard at times people say, well, if you become a Christian as an adult and you make that decision to follow Christ later in life, you're always more dedicated than those who grow up in the church and make that decision along the way. And I completely and totally reject that line of thought. I think it's a fallacy. Because you know, Paul would have totally rejected that, and we'll see it as we go along in Romans, is that whatever our situation is, whether we grew up in a terrible, terrible, abusive situation and have come to God during that time, or we grew up, like I did, in a situation where I had parents showing me the love of God, whatever that situation is, However we come to God, there we are. And appreciate however that situation is and however we've come to God. Accept it and move forward and, and be thankful for who we are. I know that I learn a lot from people that didn't grow up in the church because the, I, I hear things that I don't necessarily even think about, and I'm thankful for that. But I've, hold, I've been told as well, I know there was a friend I have in Italy. One of the things he told me, he grew up outside any type of, of a spiritual context at all, and he said, I appreciate whenever we talk because I, you, you never got the chance to really be corrupted by what's out there. And I think, well, I don't, th- I don't really feel like that sometimes. But from his perspective, I, I brought something different to the table that he appreciated. And, and that was an encouraging and affirming for me that, boy, I have a place at the table here and I have something to share that's going to be beneficial. And all of us together, coming together, are going to be sharper and, and wiser than just just me or, or, or one of us. But dedication is uh, sometimes, I will say this, as people who are, can be historical Christians, who have grown up in Christian contexts, there is, for us, 
I, don't, I didn't ever go through a life situation where I was going one direction and pulled the 180 and went the other direction. I have changed by transformation by degrees, small degrees at different times, and have just continued to try to look more like Christ as I go along. And so maybe for me, uh, big changes in life are more difficult because I've never had to do that, not in the way that some of you had. And so that's just something, it's not right or wrong, it's just something to be aware of when life situations come along. Historical Christians, uh, and this is something I have seen, but understand this is a choice. This is a choice that we make. When we follow God's will, oftentimes he blesses us greatly, um, sometimes, in, in all sorts of different ways. And I have seen times where people have grown up in a Christian context, in a historical context like me, and you see uh, the blessings that God showers down on us uh, because sometimes it's financially, sometimes, I mean, there's all sorts of different types of ways that God blesses us. But we can make the choice to become comfortable in the world and to become comfortable with what we have and what we've been given. And we cease to give God credit for all the things that we've given and we just become comfortable in this world. Now that can happen to any one of us. But it can definitely happen to those of us that have grown up with a Christian context because when you have a few generations of that, there's a lot of blessings that come from that. And I encourage all of us to, to be dedicated and look at every blessing and every good thing we have from God and what I have been given, I am called to give to God in some form or fashion. I had a, a guy tell me here recently about how he had been blessed greatly financially in this particular context. And he said, I can't help but think that God has given me this so that I can bless God's kingdom somehow, and I better be figuring out how I'm supposed to be doing that because I know every bit of this that I have is from God. Um, spiritual heritage, if you have a spiritual heritage, that's great. If you use it as a foundation to make the decision that I'm going to be one that lives by faith and not by the things that I can touch, and that's huge. And so there is, if you have a, a spiritual heritage like I do, I know at times, and maybe I've shared this, I thought, man, my spiritual story is kind of boring, and maybe I should get thrown in jail or something like that so I can liven my spiritual story up a little bit. And, and I've realized the fallacy of that type of thinking, but I've realized the great blessings that come from my spiritual story as well. Because I want to give to my children what I've been given, and just like any parents, my parents want my wife and I, to do a better job and to set a better example so that, Lord willing, my kids someday say, I, I see what I've grown up with, and I want it, and I want to continue this spiritual legacy. But that does not come by coasting. It does not come just because I've got the right clothes or I've got the right last name or any of that. It comes by every one of us deciding I am going to continue to make the decision to follow Christ day in and day out. And so we're going to find out next week, Paul, Paul ties this section up, is that whether Jews or Gentiles, whatever our situation may be, we've got a whole lot more in common than we've got, we've got differences. Even though the world may look around, and we may look around sometimes and think, boy, I'm not sure what I have in common with all of, all of you. you know, you're different than me. We find that with God, there's some foundations that we have in common that should bind us together through life no matter what happens. And when we see things that way, hang on for the ride because God's going to do great things with us. When I prayed this week, is, uh, we have life groups this afternoon. I encourage you to participate with those. Is to reflect on what God has done for you and how I can use this as a foundation to launch from here to be the person that God wants me to be.
If you would like to become a Christian today or you like prayers of the church, you're welcome to come forward. Or the elders are waiting in the back to pray with anyone who would like prayers today. Let's stand and sing together. Will your anchor hold in the storm?